Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 126. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew. I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on this episode, I'm going to be joined by one new panelist and one old friend to discuss IEPs, 504s, and other accommodations in the classroom. So to start us off, we're going to start with our goofy question. And with that, we are going to ask the question, you are in a rock group. You are in a rock group. What is your role in the group? And joining us from Illinois is our new panelist, Amy Kelly. Welcome, Amy. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, I would definitely be a singer. I'm not very talented uh, with any instruments at all, um, but I've always been in choir and I love to sing and do karaoke. So for sure, I, I would take the lead there. Yeah, the, uh, the the singing takes a takes a bold personality. Uh, talent's helpful, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I think that's a good sign for us in, the, in this discussion that we're going to have, that we have that uh, front of stage personality who wants to get out there. So that's great. All right. And then joining us uh, from Minnesota is Mark Peterson. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks, Aaron. It's uh, It's good to connect again. And Amy, it's good to meet you. Um, if, if I was in a rock group and believe it or not, I have been in a rock group, um, I'd play, I'd play rhythm guitar. So I play the acoustic guitar, uh, and I would probably be a, be a backup vocalist. I do have a guitar of science in my classroom. I sing bad parodies on occasion. <laughs> so students have to suffer through those. So, um, yeah, that's what I would do if I was in a rock group. All right. Well, I, I intentionally didn't put my answer uh, in the show notes because, um, well, I have been in a bad rock, rock group and I was a bad rhythm guitarist. I think I would uh, most likely uh, be in the sound booth um, or I'd be a roadie, uh, which I have more experience being a roadie or in the sound booth <laughs> than, uh, than I do uh, being up on stage. But uh, yeah, I could I would be much more comfortable as uh, like producer P Prince Paul rather than uh, <laughs> than being up on the stage. But uh, if they forced me on stage, I would play rhythm guitar and I would do so badly. Uh, but <laughs> I look at my guitars. I look at my guitars every once in a while. Yeah, I didn't say I'd play well. I, I'm, I'm with yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are uh, we are officially like uh, just getting through this, uh, the, getting into the start of the school year. So before we start talking about accommodations and and actually this episode um, came to my mind when I was early in um, August and, uh, you know, up here in the Northeast, we don't get to, into school until fairly late. Um, but, uh, I was getting my first, I was starting to see my class rosters and I started to look at it and I started to wonder like, what do other people, uh, see in terms of their, you know, how do they find out about their students, particularly their students who have IEPs and 504s and other accommodations and that sort of, that sort of stuff. So, uh, with that as sort of where we're going before we do that, I want to hear like, how is the start of the school year going, uh, where you are. And keep in mind, for those of you listening, uh, this episode is going to come out uh, a, a week after we're recording it. So we are literally, record literally recording this the last Sunday of August um, uh, to give you a little context. And this will come out uh, in September. So Mark, uh, how about you? What's what's going on in your neck of the woods in terms of the start of the school year? Well, uh, we're, uh, as you mentioned, we start school this coming Wednesday. So September 1st will be our first day. And 
we met as a faculty all last week and the president of our school, our superintendent, uh, you know, his first words out of the out of his mouth were uh, last year we had certainty, like what this is going to kind of <laughs> look like. And uh, this year he's like, I'm not quite sure. And then just today uh, we got the email saying we are going to be uh, we're going to be back. Uh, in class. We were in, in school all last year. Uh, but uh, previous to today's thoughts from our president, it was uh, mask optional. Uh, but today he said uh, everybody in the building uh, starting uh, Monday, August 30th, everybody in the building will wear masks. Hmm. So there's no option. So it, it's become more certain uh, with the caseloads rising in Minnesota, I think that was his decision or the school board's decision about that. Um, anyway, aside that, aside the business of virus, um, I'm anxious to get back at it. I teach uh, this year three sections of biology, and then I do the capstone, AP capstone, so AP seminar and AP research. So some of those students I know very well, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the students that I'm kind of looping with in AP research. Uh, but I'm also anxious to just get to know a bunch of brand new sophomores, mostly in biology. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at right now. Nice. And you're, you'll be with students. Uh, by the time these episodes come out, you will have had a couple of days with students. Yeah, we'll, we'll have uh, this. We kind of ease into <laughs> it, I guess. So we have class Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, we take the Friday off before uh, Labor Day. And then we come back the following Tuesday. And so, yeah, by the time this comes out, I'll have, I'll have seen my students um, a few days anyway. That's good. All right. And and Amy, how about you? What's going on in your neck of the woods? So we went back a little bit early. We were back the 11th of August. So I've met my students and uh, we are also requiring everyone in the building to be masked. And most recently, our governor put out um, a statement that all teachers had to be vaccinated or tested for COVID on a weekly basis. So, you know, some things are happening uh, politically that are very interesting, but I think it's for the best to keep the case numbers down. Uh, I do think that this year is going so much better than last year. Last year we were fully remote and I was like, I swear I went back 10 years, I started lecturing mm. again. And I was lecturing to a bunch of letters on my screen. I didn't even see a lot of their faces. We didn't require their cameras on. People weren't responding. I don't even know if they were there sometimes. Hmm. Uh, so now having everybody, I have all but one student. I have one remote student. Everybody else is in person, full time. And, you know, it's so fun because they're interacting with me. They're interacting with each other and we're getting to do hands-on stuff. Last year, we we're kind of nervous about group work and such. This year, we got the green light to go ahead, do field trips, go outside, collect data, do group work. You know, so it's it's been really nice to have a little bit of that normal classroom environment that I had before this pandemic started. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's funny that you say that because I think that was very much my feeling. So I was in in school in a hybrid situation all of last year, where we had students face to face. Um, Monday, I had one group on Monday, 
And then that same group again on Thursday and a different cohort that was Tuesday, Friday, and then everybody was on Zoom on Wednesday. So it was a very uh, disjointed schedule. Mm. But when we were in person, we were masked, we were distanced. We were, you know, they keep saying the word they use on our building a lot is de-densify. They de-densified the space, uh, which I don't think is a word, uh, but they keep saying it. So apparently it's now a thing we say, uh, but they, it's what they do at lunches and on the campus. Anytime there's a group, uh, they basically really work to space everybody out. Um, so you're right. The, even when we were in person, I, I, I very much felt like I regressed. I was very activity heavy where kids were doing like very parallel play. You are on a website, you are doing this thing with other people. And if they were at home, they were, you know, doing, you know, very, it was very worksheety. It was very much like all doing a lot of independent worksheet type stuff, very little collaboration. Um, I did, I think, a better job with my older students who I, I already had a rapport with. Um, and I was able to figure out ways of turning that curriculum into ways to collaborate with documents, but it, it was, yeah, it was definitely felt like a regression um, as what you're saying. And we're this year, um, everybody back, it's actually, uh, they have banned remote learning basically in Massachusetts. They will not give credit to schools who want to do a remote learning, learning mm. program this year. Uh, so they basically mm. said that you can't do that this year. They decided that last March um, because that's how our governor likes to do things. Um, he doesn't actually like to have any <laughs> like reason or input on any of those things. He just makes declarative statements when he feels like it. Um, so so anyway, we he took that away um, and it's it's OK. Um, and the good news for us is that we have, uh, you know, the numbers that are coming out from our nurse's office that have been tracking this. Um, we have. They're saying uh, really about 90%, both students and adults in the building are vaccinated. Um, so with masking, with ventilation, yeah, we're, we're in really good position up here. And our spike mm -hmm. up here, while not mm -hmm. as, it's just not as bad as other parts of the country. Um, I mean, we had a really bad spike last winter. Um, Northeast was, you know, we weren't New York, we weren't California, mm -hmm. uh, but we were probably the next hardest hit state. Um, especially around the Boston and just outside of Boston. So uh, got high vaccination rates up here and uh, things while the case numbers are up for vaccinated folks, it's been pretty good. Um, and so I'm, I'm feeling optimistic um, as, as we go into it. Um, so uh, this leads us into learning about our students. So um, my, my start is, as I said, how, how do you get informed about uh what accommodations your students needs and and then also what kind of uh, what kind of accommodations do you have i'm curious to see how similar uh what we see around things so so amy how about you how do you find out uh which of your students have like ieps and 504s and various accommodations so a little background on uh what i teach i do teach primarily co-taught mm -hmm. biology so i teach with a teacher a special ed teacher. And I've been doing that for well over a decade. Mm, I cool. also teach general biology, but the the bulk of my sections are, are taught. So uh, we do use PowerSchool as our primary way of accessing IEP 504 behavior plan information such as that. They have uh, all of that attached into the student record, and then they put like a little colored icon next to the student's name when you go to attendance, so you know to check for an attachment. I have, like I said, a co-teacher. She's absolutely amazing, and she actually will go in for all of those kids, and she makes like a Google sheet, and she says like what they need to have modified, what their typical accommodations are, and she'll even talk to like their case managers and get additional feedback. But we also 
have meetings with social workers and sometimes itinerant teachers uh, or case managers to discuss particular students who might have uh, high needs in our class. So that's typically how we will learn a little bit about what students need, which accommodations or modifications for our courses. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're uh, kind of piggybacking on what <clears throat> Amy said. Um, all of our accommodations are listed in uh, PowerSchool. You can see those medical mm -hmm. alerts or the accommodation alerts, and you can read about those. You know, we have a, a learning specialist in our building, so we're a um, we we are we claim to be a college prep school. Whatever that happens to me, I'm not really sure just yet. That's a <laughs> that's a discussion for our faculty, but, but, uh, we have a, a learning specialist that, that really goes down grade level by grade level. We had those last week. So we had a chunk of time where the learning specialist goes through really high need students, um, kind of individually. So that might be for any grade level that might be 15, 20 students. I might have those students. I might not, you know, depending on my rosters, hmm. um, and then uh, I, I really try to I really try to identify those students and spend a little bit more time with those folks early early on, so I can get to know them as quickly. Because uh, many of them, I really feel by the time they're sophomores or juniors, um, they've had their diagnosis for whatever it happens to be. They've probably picked up some skills in our um, this isn't true for all of them, but many of them pick, have picked up skills and and really know how to take care of themselves. Uh, but we do have those learning support folks uh, where um, if, if we need extended time on uh, an examination uh, or something needs to be read to them, we do have those folks that help with that as well. Wow. That's yeah, I like that you mentioned. I was going to say, I like that you mentioned getting to know the kids a bit, because I do feel sometimes like with IEPs and 504s, the kids get a label and you make the assumption that they need the things that are on their IEP and 504. But sometimes when you get to know the kid, you know, you get to find out what some of their strengths are and what some of their weaknesses are. And, mm -hmm. you know, not everybody who has the same, you know, label on IEP needs things exactly the same way. So you just really have to get to know those kids too, to decide what modifications they need that'll help them learn the material the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I think that we've all, we, we it's interesting how similar, because we, well, my school also uses uh, power school as its grade book and, you know, attendance tool and communication and those icons I can, you know, see the little uh, mash symbol there because if you're of a certain age that says that they have an allergy or other medical issue uh, uh, that pops up and <laughs> click on those and like, oh, what's going on? Are they allergic to bees? Nope. It's tree nuts. Okay. All right. Don't, don't give them tree nuts. Yeah. Um, uh, but you can go through yeah. tree nuts, right? yeah. <laughs> tree nuts right. peanuts. And yeah. I was reading through those the other day. Um, so yeah, you can see the medical components and, um, and, and other things in there, but uh, you're right that if for us, it says 504, uh, if it's a 504 accommodation, it says IEP um, or special ed document, if it's a special ed document, and you can see that and click on and go in and read read those, which is a pretty new thing uh, for me. Like, I think that we first saw that, even though we've used PowerSchool forever, 
I think that that only appeared either two or three years ago in my building. So I don't know if it's been something they've added more recently. And I know they have updated the software as they've gone or if that's something that, you know, my school just f- figured out uh, two or three years ago. You never know. Yeah. How to do that. <laughs> I don't know how long it's existed in <laughs> right. the platform and our school just like, oh, wait, we could use that. Uh, because before that, it was it was a lot of shared like Google Docs and you know, copies of, right. of Word docs that people would email to you and you'd have to drop it in a folder and, yeah. um, and, and read those things. Uh, I'm curious about the, the, t- like sort of, uh, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm, this is, the show is all about me. I don't know if I can say that enough. Like I'm trying to figure out how I can do things better. And so I trick, <laughs> I trick people to come on who know things better than me to come on and tell me how to do things better. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a, it's a long con five years of a long con. So, um, as I was going through and I was reading there, and um, I love what you said, Mark, about getting to know students. And I and I feel like I've been doing that better the last couple of years. But I was also thinking about the types of accommodation. So, like for me, the the most the two biggest accommodations or most common accommodations I get. And again, I am dealing mostly with honors and AP students. So I am not seeing students that are. Um, in our general bio at this current year. I've taught those classes in the past, but I, the two things I get the most are, um, uh, are uh, preferential seating, um, trying, and, and that is a mm-hmm. weird way of phrasing it because to me, preferential means where they prefer and how do you know where they prefer. That it's a shorthand to say, put them up front in our, in our language without saying put them up front. But you know, they, when they put that in, I think they mean put them front and center. Um, but I, I don't know what that means. Uh, and then the other one is extended time, either, you know, 25%, 50%, 100% more extended time. And I'd say 50% extended time is probably by far the thing I see the most in accommodations um, there. So um, w- what are the types of things that you're seeing? And, and again, uh, do you just rely on, um, I, yeah, I just want to see what are you seeing and what do you do with those things when you, when you get them? Like, how do you, how do you deal that? And I, I guess, Mark, you're talking about getting to know the students. So when you talk to them, how are you, how are you translating this, like this document you're getting to this conversation with the kid and figuring out that what, what's your process? Well, I, I really think, um, and I, I'm going to, this is a generalized blanket statement. This is anecdotal. There's no research <laughs> behind that. But the, my students, I will say that my students that are uh, male, they tend to not want to take advantage of any of those accommodations of extended time or preferential seating. You know, they don't want to be identified uh, that way. Whereas, and, and so as you sit down and, and like within the first couple of weeks of school, I really make it a point to get around to those those students that have those icons and just talk with them about like, you know, what what works best for you? I really want to like, how can I help you with with your learning? Um, sometimes they'll bring up their accommodations and sometimes they won't. But within that conversation of like, how can I help you with your learning? You know, there's like, well, you know, I, I really struggle. If I sit in the front of the room, I always just want to turn around and look to see what's going on in back. But if I'm in the back of the room, then I can see everything that's going on and it's not such a much distraction. So you can kind of identify some things that way. Um, I, it's, it's rare that you're going to have a student that says, I process slowly, <laughs> right? No one's going to say that, but they're going to say, it takes me a long time to, it takes me a long time to write. It takes me, and, and, 
and, and you know, in, in so many words, you know, that I think that's that may be what they're saying. It takes me a long time to get my answers out on paper. And so just in those conversations and none of the assessments in the first two, three weeks of school are, you know, heavy hitters. I'm just trying to you got to go slow before you can go fast. Right. So we're just talking about the the science, the science and engineering practices, the cross cutting concepts. You know, maybe we're getting into some disciplinary some core ideas, but it's mostly just trying to figure out how the classroom works. And within that, I think that leads to some some questions or just some conversations, not questions, conversations with those students, especially the ones that, um, you know, have been identified by our our learning specialists. And so I don't know if there's a I don't know if I Aaron, I don't know if I have a formula for you. I don't know if it's it's mostly just sitting down and and uh, chatting with those students about their learning. And I, I think by the time they're, they're sophomores, they're starting to figure that out. Certainly when they're juniors and seniors, they're pretty aware of how best they learn and where their, uh, where their limitations are. And I think that those students are able to identify that better. So I don't know. I kind of talked <laughs> around. I don't know if that helped you get better. Yeah, don't worry. I took notes. I'm going to come back at you later. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. So, so Amy, you, you, you have fun. this, you have a, you have the, I, I don't, I want to use the word luxury, but um, the, the collaborative component of working and co-teaching. So you get that opportunity to talk with another person about these things. Um, so, so what is your process of sort of translating that documentation or that Google doc that you have um, into how you help your students? Yeah, so, you know, we do a lot with surveys. We survey the kids and the parents, and we do try, and this is not just our special ed kids, but all kids, we try to get to know how they learn best. What do they feel their strengths are? What do they feel their weaknesses are? And we ask the same questions to the parents as well. And I even ask, like, what's your favorite subject? What's your least favorite subject? Because a lot of times when they're having trouble with, like, math and such, math's not going to be up there as one of their favorites. And it's, it's important to know who might need that extra support. But what we have found, too, is that the kids are more open to accepting accommodations and modifications when they feel they're being offered to other people, too, you know, where they're not being singled out. Right. So, for example, one of the more common modifications we'll get is to have something read aloud, uh, especially for our kids who don't have great reading skills. So they can go in a separate location and someone can read them the assessment aloud and they can go ahead and fill it out. So we've been using something called Reverb and um, either myself or my co-teacher will record ourselves reading the text and we'll just put a link at the top of the document. And then the kid can say, hey, I'm going to listen to it. I'm just going to pop my headphones on and listen to it here. I don't have to leave the room necessarily in every case. You know, if it's not a test or quiz, it's just an article I want you to read and answer some questions on, you know, just click the link. And they don't stand out to others as having some sort of special need or requirement. And I'll be honest, even kids who don't have IEPs or 504 sometimes like to hear things read aloud. They don't want to read it. So uh, we've been doing a lot with just trying to understand our kids' strengths and weaknesses and try and help our kids understand that they can really 
push their strengths and not focus so much on those weaknesses. So reading is their weakness, you know, maybe modeling is a strength, maybe doing things with their hands and showing us is a strength. So we can differentiate our assessments once we start to get to know the kids. If we do an assessment that involves a lot of math and they're struggling, I'll meet with my co-teacher and we'll say, all right, for this group of kids, this didn't work out. So how are we going to try something a different way so we can measure if one, they don't understand the material or two, they understand it, but the way that the assessment is formatted isn't ideal to their learning type. So what we'll tend to do is either make a different version of an assessment, completely kind of flip the format of it a little bit, and we'll give them another chance. Or we might just say, all right, you guys, if you didn't finish your assessment or you got, you know, if you had trouble with it, we're going to head on to the back or you just need extra help. Come on back and work with you for you guys who um, are done with that assessment and, and you feel real comfortable with it. You're going to go ahead and do this task. And so we'll actually split them in class sometimes as well in order to differentiate and try and give those kids additional accommodations or modifications. Again, it's going to vary every single unit based on whatever that kid's strengths and weaknesses are. We just try and get to know them through their assessments, through surveys, and try and make sense of why that IEP or 504 is there and how we can help make the learning more equitable for them. Yeah, I I heard a lot of scaffold like language that you have in there, um, such that like we want to get them to this point, um, and some kids through sort of the, you know, lack of a better phrase, sort of the the traditional sequence or sort of our first draft of sequence gets them from A to B, but not every kid is going to get from A to B with that initial sequence, and therefore we need to layer things in, and particularly this time of year you don't necessarily know the population of kids who are in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you get a room, like, I mean, if you get a room and you realize that, oh, to get from A to B, I need, if I layer these scaffold in, I'm going to get everyone there together. That's, that, that's something you can do. And, you know, come, you know, January, February, March, that, that might be just part of the regular lesson planning. But this time of year, you know, it, it's hard to know what your pacing should be. And let alone the fact that we're, you know, 18 months into a pandemic and who knows where the heck the kids have been and what they've picked up in those, <laughs> those last, those last few months. So, um, yeah, I'm wondering if this, that mm-hmm. approach is really going to be super helpful this year of all years, uh, particularly after the disruption that, that was the case for some kids in the last year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think like Mark was saying too, is like some of the kids think like, I'm a slow learner. I'm a slow writer. I'm a slow reader. And I keep reminding them, you know, the process of science isn't fast. Like people don't just say, you know, hmm, I wonder, and then have a new technology in five minutes. You know, they make a lot of mistakes along the way. And so we start the year just talking about the process of science and how like it's a pinball machine. Like it's just all over the place. You're going to bounce around. You're not going to necessarily do everything fast and everything right the first time. And that's not a knock on you. It's just, you know, if you need more time, you need more time. The point is we all have to get to a certain point and we're going to get you there, but it might take more time, less time. But as long as you get there, it's not really the time that matters. You know, it's understanding that, that it's the material we're trying to, to get to, you know? Yeah. I had a, I had a couple, I had a couple experiences, one in graduate school and one in college that 
like the college one, I think really made me think differently about testing. Um, I had a pretty traditional experience, uh, I don't know, multiple choice tests and essays. That's all I had. And when I was a senior in college, so biology, chemistry major, I walked into, I don't know what my counselor talked to me into taking this 300 level history course, <laughs> which was, you know, I think I had like Western civilizations or something like that. And I had this wonderful instructor, Sister Edith, and we got the blue book, right, to write essays. And we got the exam going and I was still writing and Sister Edith is like, time. And all of my colleagues were done. They'd filled their, they'd filled their blue books with stuff. And I'm like, hey, I'm not, I'm not done. And she's like, I've watched you write. I'm not really concerned about the answers. I want to see your thinking. And I think what you've given me is probably a really good sample of your thinking. And that's probably good enough. And so I think about that with our students. I, I think about that frequently. Like you're, you're never going to ask them every single detail of a biological process anyway, period. If you get a sample and they're able to do that well, then that's probably a pretty good indication of learning. I, and I tell that stupid story <laughs> to my students and they're like, Sister Edith, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the, the question about like the format and how you ask a question, especially in science, like, you know, science is so much like the, in some ways it feels like the TV show, you know, uh, chopped, like you go in and you got a box of, of ingredients and, and you got to like whip something up and you kind of come up and you, you're trying to come up with this way of doing something. And if you were to do that with your kids and you were to give them like, here are these five tools and here are a couple of things to play with, come up with a question, come up with a way of measuring it, come up with some data. If they didn't get through the whole experimental series and have a published paper at the end, you would get a pretty good sense of their thinking by having them start yeah. that process. Yeah. Like, and, and I would love yeah. to do, I love doing, some of that. Um, in fact, I will be doing something kind of similar to that in the first couple of days of school um, in groups to sort of see if I can get their thinking, you know, what their thinking is like, where I'm going to give them some stuff and say, what do you, what do you, what do you notice? Like, what are you observing? What do you wonder? What kind of questions do you have? And get them sort of going that process and see sort of what is their initial thinking? What are, what, what do they come up with now to, at the beginning? in their thinking. And it's not really assessed. It's really just to learn yeah. about those students. Um, yeah. The thing that you said, Mark, when you said talking about the, the right. conversations you have with kids and, and to me, the, the obvious question is, is that the, that's those conversations. I, I like the idea. Those are the conversations I want to actually have with all of my students. Um, I feel like the, what you were saying is that, and I, and I know you, and right. I knew you well yeah. enough to know that that's what you do. Um, <laughs> but the, that the, 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 IEP 504 documents are help you sort of prioritize who you should be checking in with first. Um, I think that's, that's sort of what I was getting out of there. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I think that I will, I, I'm going to regret saying this, <laughs> but I think that I will miss, I will miss the zoom conversations that I had with individuals. You know, when I, I was able to pull little Ignatius off to the side to room number three and it would just be the two of us having this conversation here you know that was as opposed to you know pulling a student out in outside of my classroom to sit down and have a conversation 
Um, I, you know, again, I'm going to regret saying that <laughs> because, but I think I will miss that because it was really a golden opportunity. There was just the two of us and it was that private conversation where you could really drill deep. Um, I got to figure out how to do that face to face better. I really want to do that. Yeah. And I- yeah, for sure. I agree a hundred percent on that. Really. I mean, too, like, I think one thing that was positive with this whole remote learning experience is it taught a lot of our students that they can communicate with their teachers mm-hmm. in different ways. Because I know prior to the pandemic, I I didn't get emails from kids very often, like very rarely. And I get emails every day. We have kids on quarantine and they're emailing me, hey, is everything posted on classroom? Let's do next class because I want to start on it. And so they are taking more initiative, I think, now that they've gone through the, the pandemic year and the remote learning to reach out to teachers in different ways. And I, I agree, Mark, I want to be able to continue that line of communication, just having the kid feel safe and comfortable enough to be able to talk one-on-one without having a bunch of peers behind them, you know, in the classroom setting or being called out to stay after class. Like it's, it's kind of the typical way you might reach out to a kid. So, yeah, I agree with that. It is something that I think was good or positive about that last year we had. Yeah, I I actually set up office hours last year um, via Zoom because I missed that the checking in, the informal checking in with kids and that sort of stuff. Um, And I will say my upperclassmen, um, I might have strong armed them a little bit into using them. Uh, My AP students, I kind of made it like, you know, yeah, you have the choice to sign up, but you better sign up at least once a quarter um, kind of uh, uh, ex- expectation. So, uh, but I, and I had kids who came multiple times a quarter. Uh, they came to talk about their work. Mm-hmm. They came to get feedback. They we, we, we talked about assignments um, and you're absolutely right. I had really great one-on-one 10 little 10 minute conversations that are there. Uh, I'm actually maintaining that structure this year. Um, I don't know if kids and basically what I'm gonna do is I will use my Wednesday after school time I'm, I'm going to tell the kids it's optional. Like if you need to go home right away because you got to go do something at home, you got to take the bus home. You can't stay after school. You could still zoom in yeah. on a Wednesday at three 30. I'll yeah. be in the stay. I'll be in the building, but I'll have the zoom link there. If you want to zoom in. Um, and then the other one I set, I set from like six to seven on like a Tuesday. Um, and then what I found out is that there are kids who did extracurricular activities after school who wouldn't be able to ever stay after school. But all of a sudden they were coming to my office hours from six to seven because they didn't have a practice of, they weren't in, you know, swimming, they weren't, you know, at a job, they weren't, but six to like one of those two times would work for them. And so like I stumbled into this thing where, you know, I basically, you know, kids could sign up and, you know, were there weeks that nobody signed up? I'm not expecting a lot of kids early in September to be checking in. Um, That's just not something I, 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 I expect, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, I have a, a, a decent buy-in with kids during the year um, where they can come in and pop in. And the, as you're saying, the good news is that those kids now can informally just pop in. They can just come by and see me, uh, which they couldn't do last yeah. year. That That's just a part of my room, you know, my space before school, after school lunches. I would always have kids in my room talking to me and hanging out and stuff like that. That's just yeah. sort of, um, I, ca- I can't get rid of them. They're like... 
<laughs> they're like roaches, man. Uh, I tell you, they just, yeah. they, oh, <laughs> no, they, uh, but I mean, that's sort of the thing about being, a, especially, yeah. you know, you were mentioned earlier, Mark, a teacher who has students multiple times, uh, younger students and older students, yeah. those older students who you have twice, yeah. um, you definitely can become that sort of safe space in the building, especially when they're juniors or seniors yeah. and they're stressed about college search or college yeah. or whatever. And yeah, I get oh, a lot of kids yeah, who just right. spend a lot more time around me, even if they're just goofing off and not really doing anything. It just, I, you're you're right. That conversation, I was really worried about that. And so I built a structure last year that didn't replace it, um, but did allow for some of those conversations to happen. Um, and again, I, I want those conversations for you know, as you were talking, I was and I was thinking back to the idea of extended time because I use extended time as I that's a really common thing that comes up in my school. I mean, there's a lot of other things. I have a lot of like making sure you have wait time and uh, proximity queuing and like all these other language things that you'll see in there. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. the number of students are basically our school has gone to um, I, 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 they're called like it's called like the district wide accommodations list or something like that that basically are like these are the accommodations that if you think any kid in the in the district could use these feel free to try them and extended time on assessments is one of them so if you have a kid they don't have a 504 sure. 504 they don't have an IEP they haven't been tested they haven't thing but you think this kid is like like flailing out and having anxiety and it's because they don't have enough time on there give them extended time you have our you have carte blanche Give them the accommodation. Yeah. Blanket talk permission. to, let the counselors know that this is something you're going to try. Communicate with the kid, but feel free. You can give it to any kid. Um, and they, they're actually starting yeah. to build that into sort of like, they, they want us to realize that not all kids will hit a struggle of learning at the same point. It'd be great if by third grade, every kid who needed accommodations would be identified and get a plan right. and that sort of stuff. Identified. But I mean, I know myself, <clears throat> I didn't have any academic struggles really at all until I was a sophomore in high school. Um, like then like at all, like nothing ever was an issue. I never had an issue with any class ever, but the first time I ever struggled in a class was my sophomore year. And was that because I needed accommodations or anything or who knows, but we know that at different for every kid, Kid, their life outside of school and their life inside of school will hit them in different ways and they'll need those. And so they, you don't need permission to provide accommodations to a kid in our district. And that's actually been something that's going. Right. And so I play a lot around, around a lot with assessments and that sort of thing and, and talking to kids and trying to find them and getting their comfort level. Um, but um, not that I hadn't already planned it because I had already yeah. planned it. But uh, one of the things that I was thinking about along this lines is something that was a really an issue 20 years ago. And Mark, you brought up the idea of a stigma with boys. But do you feel that there is a stigma that students um, have about accessing their accommodation schools or maybe even their parents have about um, accessing accommodations? Mark, you specifically mentioned boys earlier. Is is there a broader thing? Do you think it's just the teenage boy thing? Mm. What, what are your thoughts about the stigma of getting access to accommodations? You know, I don't... I. I don't think, I don't think the, my conversations with parents, um, I don't think that they recognize that as a stigma. I, I really think they're trying to help their children uh, have the most success possible. I, I do think, and again, I, it's all anecdotal and without any data, it's just an opinion. Um, but I, I do tend to see boys, you know, they're, 
they have extended time as an option and they they just want to stay in the classroom they don't want to go anywhere else to take the test for extended time um and you know that's an issue right i mean and you can you can work around that the student just doesn't come to class they go to the testing room or wherever those accommodations are at so you don't have to hand the student the test and watch them leave the room so there's that um but I, I do, my experience, at least of late, is that uh, I think the young women in my classroom are better advocates for themselves. Um, and I, I, I applaud that. I think that they know what they need to do. And it, it again, blanket statements. Is this because, you know, our, unfortunately, my sophomores and juniors have very little frontal lobe developed yet I, I you know is it their brain chemistry i i don't i don't know um but i do think that i do think that part of it is the stigma and and as i reflected on it i also and i mentioned this earlier i do think by the time you're in high school some of some students have really if they have been identified early they have skills they have made their own accommodations in their own work mannerisms, their, you know, how they approach things and they've got some tricks or whatever that works for them. So I have absolutely no data to back, back up anything that I'm saying. <laughs> this is all just anecdotal. Uh, I, with the exception of, with the exception yeah. of parents, my experience lately is that parents do not see that, as a stigma, they just want their, their children to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And Amy, especially with you working in a, a co-taught biology class, um, you know, I could think of both the, the, the stigma before they get into this class. Are you seeing any stigmas associated with a student being identified to be in a co-taught class or broader in your school? So prior to last year, our co-talk classes were all special ed students and at-risk for failure students. Hmm. So the entire group had some sort of special need. And that was a, a very challenging time uh, because sometimes we had to spend more time with at-risk kids who had previously failed the course sometimes once or twice who have maybe behavior issues. And we spent sometimes less time with IEP and 504 kids because we were so busy dealing with behavior issues. And there was a little bit of a stigma. If you were in a co-taught class, everyone knew that meant you were in a special class. But last year, we shifted away from that. And part of it was, I think, because kids didn't like the idea of being in a co-taught class. And then parents were nervous about it both parents and kids thought, why are you putting a bunch of kids that all have high needs in one room? Because nobody can focus, nobody can pay attention, everyone's bothering everyone. So, you know, we made this shift to we try and keep it lower than about 30% IEP and 504 in the classroom. And everyone else who's in that classroom is completely random, uh, general population students. And so uh, last year and this year, I guess the most interesting thing was explaining to parents whose child doesn't have IEP or 504, why there's another teacher in the room, because they were kind of confused on that. Why is there a special ed teacher helping out? Um, they were a little bit weirded out by that because they've never experienced it before. 
But now that we do have these mixed courses, a couple of things are happening. Kids, number one, are not feeling a stigma about being in the class. And then number two, we're also seeing that we are not lowering our expectations. And I hate to say we were prior to this, but we we really were because there were so many needs and so many behavior issues. We couldn't get through the content the way that we wanted to. And so now that we have mixed ability, we, we are like really pushing for differentiation for all the levels of learners in the class, no matter what their needs are, whether they're an honor student who chose to be in a general class or if they have a third grade reading level. We're working really hard to give them as much rigor and as much of the NGSS standards as we can. And we're trying not to decrease the rigor for those kids that maybe have different abilities. We're just trying to give them different ways to show what they know, you know, based on their ability, based on their strengths. And I think through that, we're having less issues with both parents and students feeling any sort of negativity towards a co-taught class. And we've even had general ed kids say, I wish every class was co-taught because they like having someone in the class who thinks different than the content Mm -hmm. specialist. Because I know a lot about biology, so I explain something and it makes sense to me. I have background. I have connections and experiences they don't have and it doesn't make sense to them. But my co-teacher, she'll pick up on that and she's really great at coming up with different ways of explaining something that I explained. And I think all the kids benefited from having a special ed teacher in the class or just another perspective, you know? So ultimately, I think... We haven't had much stigma now that we take this shift. And I think the kids are more, much more positive about being put in a co-taught class. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I taught in a, a, an alternative program for years, and these were students who really struggled to get through the traditional school day. And we would regularly have these kids who, by all the metrics, the kids weren't coming to school. They were not passing their classes. They needed, like the school was failing them. And they would say, look, we have this program to help a student like you. It's a transitional program. It's not, they're going to go there and be there forever. But, uh, you know, sometimes it was the kids, but more often it was the parents who would look at this special program and the idea of their kid going into this special program was an untenable situation for the kid. Like it was that you had this level of acceptance. And I also think too, I had a conversation, a really great conversation with one of my my students from last year who who uh, basically had a, for lack of a better term, she had like a mental health crisis um, at the end of her um, her freshman year of school. She is an all honors, all AP, high anxiety kind of kid. And and she basically got to a mental health crisis where she burned out of school. But And it wasn't until she got to comp- crisis point that she was willing to get help and get that, that you know, get, get to a better place. And so um, unfortunately, we have a, a culture in, in some parts of schools and especially with some sort of programs that until you get to crisis and rock bottom, people aren't willing to try and get help and accommodations. Um, and, un- and unfortunately, like, we're not saying that you need to get to crisis before you get accommodations. Like if you're struggling a little and this little thing will help you keep up at the level, 
then take the little thing. But unfortunately, in a lot of cases, and partly that's also the system. And you know, I'm a big school, and we we have a lot going on. Um, there seems to be a lot. You have to get into a pretty dark place, it seems, before you're willing to get help in a lot of cases. Um, but what I will say, kind of go in line with what Mark was saying, is it feels the last two years have felt markedly different. Where I went into, I can remember two specific sets of conversations that I went in with parents, where I was, I was basically going to say we should be trying some new things with kids, and both times the parents were like, "That's great, let's try." It. And I was like. Oh, good. <laughs> Things weren't bad, but they're there. So, you know, maybe the mental health conversations we've been having, the anxiety conversations we've had, the discussion of accommodations and supports not being a label, but being an assistance, you know, maybe we've been doing that enough and we finally got to the language that there's less of a stigma um, because I definitely feel that there's been a shift in the conversations I've been having in the last two years Um you know, again, not to, to back up what Mark was saying, I don't have a lot of data on this. I have a couple of anecdotes <laughs> that support this idea. Um, but but with that said, I think that right. um, those couple of anecdotes do suggest there has been um, movement in a positive direction um, on these ideas. I, I would I would agree. So I um, and I, I there's just a. Uh, kind of what Amy was talking about. I, I think that that movement away from having those students together uh, and my experience in the past is, and it's a long experience. I started teaching in 85. <laughs> those students might be together all day long in every class that they were in, you know, and, and they find, they recognize their struggles and, and, um, uh, that was hard. That was hard to have those students together. And so I think it's, I think it's, it's great if you have a, a much better mixture of students, that's, that's, that's better for, for everyone. Yeah. It makes me think of the fact that um, tracking is a very efficient system, but efficient systems aren't necessarily the goal of education. Right. Um, right. Learning is not an efficient process. Like we're not trying to maximize our efficiency of learning. We're just trying to maximize our learning. Um, So, so great. All right. Well, that's it. I think we solved IEPs, 504s um, and accommodations. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I, but I definitely do feel I, I, I'm grateful. I think like I've got, um, I, I have some thoughts about how I want to, decode those decode those documents a little bit and how I want to uh, approach those as we get into the first couple of weeks of the year. So um, hopefully this will give some other people those same ideas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let me give credits for this episode. Um, so please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Um, you can also uh, go to patreon.com slash lots and uh, support this episode. I give out early releases and also post show notes on patreon.com slash lots. Uh, you can get also get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by ex-magicians and Jake Jenkins. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets, or you can follow the show at Life of the School, and we tweet out the episodes every month. All right. Well, that is our kicking September episode off, and uh, we will see you later this month. 